good news. Have to burn that tape or something. I mean, literally burn it. Not make a copy of it. Burn it. Alrighty, Romans chapter number eight. Hope I can get through my notes. I got I type these out, and then I highlight stuff, and then I make other notes on the sides. I underline. I draw arrows. I have stuff on the side, and then I try to figure out what I'm trying to say here. Ooh. I already see a problem. Oh, here we go. I had some pages out of word. That would have been fun to figure that out. Okay. Uh, I think we left off in verse number 32. We talked about it just a little bit. So we'll, we'll kind of review that. Uh, Romans 8, verse 32. Let's have a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for the privilege we have, Lord, to study your word, Father, and learn from it. Pray, Lord, you bless the lesson this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I'm on the right chapter here. And he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not be with him also? How shall he not with him also give us all things? 32. He spared not his son. God gave us his son, Jesus. And we discussed this a little bit last week, how sometimes the daily lives and the cares of this world kind of can kind of defeat us and kind of press us down. But uh, Paul doesn't, uh, doesn't acknowledge that. He's saying, you know, there's, there's no other argument that could be offered of proof of God's love for us than, than that he gave us his son. You think of Romans 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. I was just, okay. So, uh, God, that's what Paul's trying to reinforce. God gave us his son. God reaches down for us. We're not worthy of salvation, are we? No. As much as some folks may think they are, or they do these religious works, or whatever it is, they think they may be worthy of something. We're not. God reaches down and gives us the opportunity to be saved. So we are, we are nothing before Him. He's the creator of all things. And He says here in verse number 32, He will freely give us all things. Do you have everything you want? Is that what I was talking about? No. It's all things to sustain us. All things we need for our spiritual health. All things we need to keep us going. You know, There's things that I want I don't have yet. I'm waiting for it. That diesel pickup truck, brother. Amen. 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 I can hardly wait to get that. And I need that for my ministry. Yeah. So it's, it's, he gives us this greatest gift, and he'll not refuse to provide for our daily needs. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that the rest of this chapter. In verse number 33... Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall lay any charge? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who will lay any charge? When you lay a charge, you're laying an accusation, aren't you? Who shall lay any charge, any matter of guilt, which would bring us into condemnation or, or bring an accusation against God's elect? God's elect? 
First time we see that word in the book of Romans, God's elect. We'll talk more about election in chapter number 9. We'll spend most of the time talking about it and trying to figure out what it is. But God says in this, uh, Paul says in this book here, God's elect. First time it's used in Romans. Believers are designated as God's elect now in the New Testament only. Okay, in the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it's true believers. We'll get into this. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are really deep as far as uh, what God's going to do with the Jews Amen. and then the Gentiles, and there's a, there, there's a big change taking place. We'll study that when we, when we get there. So long before the coming of Christ, the heathen revolted against God. That's the heathen, that is us Gentiles. We're called by that name sometimes, or were. We revolted against God, and we were into this, not we, they were into this idolatry and this unbelief and rebellion against God. So God made a decision, and He chose a nation. God worked it out predestined, we'll talk about that next, next chapter, predestined the nation of Israel, how it was going to come to be. And how it was going to bless the world and all these things. He promised Abraham. Okay, So electing or choosing a nation of Israel, separating them from the wickedness of the world. How'd that work out? Not so good. I just, I'm, I'm in Ezekiel now, but I, you read all the Old Testament there and it's not working out so good. They rebelled against God. They chased the idols. God judged them and judged them and judged them and put them in captivity and judged them because they were wicked. They were worldly. So God dealt with that. But God chose that nation and separated them from the world. That's what he had planned. They're going to be separate from the world. Okay? And so we see this, this word elect. And it was, a used, it was used back in the Old Testament. So the folks that wrote the New Testament and spread the gospel, primarily beginning with anyways, were Jews. So being accustomed to the Old Testament, they naturally kind of carried that language, that same language, into the New Testament, in, in, into the gospel. So that's how we got the word um, uh, elect. Look, look, at, uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7, let's look at verses 6 through 9. For thou art an holy people unto Lord, uh, the Lord thy God, the Lord thy God hath what? Chosen thee, or we can use the word, elected thee, okay, to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because He would uh, keep the oath which He had sworn by uh, your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of of bondmen, and from the land of Pharaoh, uh, land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So God chose Israel back when? For the founding of the world. He knew there was gonna, he was going to have a nation. Okay? So in chapter 9, we're going to start seeing a different change. We're going to look at how this election took place, what God did, who he who was involved and how it worked out. But here we are now in the book of Romans. So the gospel is the closest connection to the Old Testament. And these same words were used then they were, and they're used now. We just got to understand what the meaning of who he's talking about is. Okay? So, uh, those that rejected God, Jew and Gentile, God rejected them. They're not elect. They're not true believers. And we're going to get into next couple weeks here that the two Israels. You got true believers and you got Christ rejectors. Okay, we're going to learn that and we'll see the scriptures for that and stuff. So uh, the people that were rejected now uh, no longer are the people of God because they rejected the Messiah. They're, they're no longer the chosen people. And we'll say this, like I said, next next couple chapters. You got to make sure you come, or you're going to be totally loster than you are now. Look at verse 34, back in our text here. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Verse number 33 asked, Who shall uh, um, lay anything to our charge who will lay any accusation to one of God's children and verse 34 says who shall uh, uh, condemn them you can't be condemned unless you're charged with something once you're charged then you're condemned if you go to court and you break the law you're going to be charged and then you're going to be dun 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 then you may have to, you know, then you have to suffer the, we can call it condemnation or the, or the repercussions or consequences, whatever you want, word you want to use, okay? Who shall lay anything to the charge? Here is the man, and who shall condemn them? They cannot be accused, though those that are not confused cannot be condemned. Paul here is saying that it is God that justifieth them, us. And he gives four reasons right here in verse number 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who, is, who, maketh, who also maketh intercession for us. There's four, four grounds here. Number one, it's Christ that died. Jesus Christ died. He was resurrected. He's at the right hand of God. His enthronement there at the right hand of God. Intercession. Christ maketh intercession for us. We've looked at verses before about that. Christ maketh intercession. He's our advocate. He maketh intercession for us. So, because mankind, all mankind, has violated God's holy laws, and you can look at the Ten Commandments, that's not all of His laws. There's 613, I think, precepts He has. 
But, but we've broken those. We can't keep those. And that's why the law doesn't work. We can't keep it. So by our sin and our rejection, uh, there's death. Remember uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Okay? So by this condition we're in, a sinful uh, lost condition, Christ died to pay for whose sins? Yeah, not his, ours. He died to pay for our sins. Why? Because God demanded justice. His laws had been broken. He demanded what we would call satisfaction. If you ever watched a couple of Westerns, they always want to kill the guy that did something because I want my satisfaction. They want their retribution. They want, they want the payment. Okay? Same thing here. God wants satisfaction. This, his law has been broken. Man has rejected him. He wants satisfaction. He wants something to pay for that. You okay with that? So it's impossible for man to uh, uh, be absolved from sin. What happens in our efforts to be absolved from sin? We just pay for our sin, don't, don't, don't we? We die and we go to hell. That's our payment. God wants satisfaction. So there's two methods, right? We know them. We pay it by ourselves. That's a go-on-your-own thing. Or we accept Christ as our Savior because He paid for our sins. Okay? So Christ came and died for us as payment for the injury to God's justice. God has been injured, so to speak. His law has, because it's been violated. Uh, have you ever had anything stolen? Anybody? I have. I stole my wife's heart, but I give it back. Uh, <laughs> I've had stuff stolen before, and I, man, I don't like a thief. I don't like thieves. Man, I've had stuff stolen before back in the Army. Man. To Fort Carson, Colorado. First day there, we're in this big auditorium, and the sergeant major of the post said, this is a thieving post, big guy. This is a thieving post. They will steal the sweat off your ice water. And I had some things stolen at Fort Carson, Colorado. Yeah, they're terrible for thieves there, man. We had to have guarded parking lots for our cars, and they would steal them because the guards would steal them. I mean, it was just terrible. It was bad. Thieves. Man, don't like it. So God, being just, had to do something with this sin problem. Amen. And he has mercy, but he also has to deal with his justice. So how does he deal with both? He can't deal with it without an atonement. Something has to pay. So back in the Old Testament, what did God institute to, to address the sin problem? Sacrifice is great. He addressed the sacrificial system. So they would uh, hold forth the necessity of sacrifice to atone for their sins. If you look at the law in Leviticus, it tells you how many doves you got to bring or sheep or bullock, you know, whatever it is, there was, there was payment for certain kinds of sin. That was the atonement. The high priest would take care of that and do his, his thing, and then that would be cleansed, okay? 
temporarily because you take it right back with you as soon as you leave, okay? Right, so, but the message was, the lesson was, without shedding of blood is no remission. So it was a blood sacrifice system back then. Christ sacrificed his blood the same way. He was the final sacrifice. Amen. He, his sacrifice paid for everybody's sins. Okay? So, in recompense for violating God's law, for reparations, for uh, some remedy, to where satisfaction could be made, to where God would accept it, that satisfaction had to equal the majesty and holiness of God. Amen. We can't do it. On our own, something has to match the seriousness of the crime, of the violation. And this thing must be of infinite value, and it must be of infinite holiness. Who could meet that requirement? Jesus Christ. Amen. So he made the atonement. He made the, the payment. He made the satisfaction. God was satisfied with that. And we accept His death and payment for our sins, and we get saved. God's satisfied. Okay? Let's look at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So Paul uh, sets, uh, now, now points to, uh, to six things or six troubles which he determined might separate believers from the love of Christ. In verses 33 and 34, Paul asks, Who shall accuse? Who shall condemn? And now in verse number 35, Paul asks, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Now that statement, that phrase, love of God, could mean our love to God or God's love to us. In this text, it means Christ's love to us. Who can separate us? What can separate us from Christ's love to us? Okay? And he lists these seven things here. Uh, let's look at them here a second. First one was tribulation. That's everyday troubles that affect everybody, but sometimes Christians get more, don't we? We try to live a good Christian life. We suffer tribulations because of the uh, we believe in Christ. It's general affliction, uh, uh, affliction, but sometimes it's more tribulation if you're a Christian and you're you're active and you make the world known that I'm a Christian. You suffer persecution sometimes, tribulation. Um, distress signifies these. Uh, the the word picture kind of gives you a, a narrow place you got to go through. It's difficult. Uh, things are against you, uh, difficulties, critical situations, uh, uh, the perplexity, perplexity that we're in sometimes. Uh, uh, we're under pressure. <clears throat> What's the modern vernacular for that? Between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, that, that's what uh, distress means. We're between a rock and a hard place. We can't find a way out. That's distress. Persecution, affliction because of your profession of Christ. Anybody ever been persecuted? We have. If you go to door to door to door, somebody's not going to like it. And they call the apartment manager or the, or the manager of the place you're at, and they, they don't like it. 
And then he tried to chase you out. And then we call Mr. Shaver's mom Amen. and my wife, and they, they take care of the situation. Even the cops are embarrassed. They had to come. So. You know, it's just, you know, that's what happens. Um, persecution. Okay. Uh, Matthew 5.10. <clears throat> Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Blessed are those that are persecuted. You ever been persecuted and thank God for that? I have once. I remember this guy I was with in Colorado Springs back in, uh, back in 86. Second time I was there. School. First time I was there, second time, <clears throat> 86, yeah. We went to a church there and I went to this guy door to door. And we went to this, we came across and, you know, I was we were door to door. We were kind of trying to share the gospel. We went to this, this one really bad looking house, looked bad, run down, a bunch of Harleys out in front. And Bob says, Kurt, it's your turn. I said, no, it's not my turn. <laughs> no. We're going to flip for this one, buddy. I'm going to flip you, and you can flip me, but we're going to, you know, I mean, it was, it was bad. I was afraid. He said, oh, come on, get up there. I'm right behind, I'm behind you all the way. Yeah, that means you can run first, too. So, <clears throat> you know, I was kind of scared. And, boy, I knocked on this guy's door. Music's playing. There's smoke wafting everywhere. And this guy, and this big old guy in these blue jeans, no shirt, beard, mustache, long hair, Got a Budweiser in one hand. Bud makes me wiser. And he's got a cowboy killer in another. And he's chewing tobacco. He's got juice running down his beard. And he's about, you know, seven foot ten or something. He's really big. And he goes, yeah, he gives me this, yeah, what do you want? Hi, I think we got the wrong number. I'm sorry. You know, we, sorry, I just wanted to invite you to church. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I was scared. And you got to look up to them, and all you can see is their chest. I mean, it's, it's a big guy. Why don't you run away? Why don't you run along and play with somebody else? You know, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry to bother you. We're out of here. You know, I said, Bob, never again. I told my friend, never again. Yeah, I was scared. Man, we didn't get beat up or anything, but I was, I was afraid of it. I mean, this guy, man. When you've got a cowboy killer, that's a Marlboro. In one hand, and the bud makes me wiser in the other. And they got chewing tobacco going down their beard. Man, they got a problem. You know. Anyways, so that was unsuccessful. Anyways, and it goes on from persecution, goes on to famine. We talk about these, this, uh, these apostles. If you read their history, they suffered. Most of them were killed. They were persecuted. They were chased down. Uh, uh, frequently... Subjected to famine. They couldn't even exist. They had trouble getting by. Nakedness. They would take everything from them. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, read all the things that Paul went through. Stripes, beatings, shipwrecks, various perils, hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness. Plus, what else did he have to do? Care of all the churches. So, he's been through all these things Paul has. Peril, dangers to Christians, which we alone are exposed, especially these days, when they are looking, not they, our government, seems to be a little more intrusive now, and they're, they're not afraid to try to shut a, a, a church down. 
and the ones that have been shut down have got relief through the Supreme Court, thank God. But they, won't, they wouldn't care a thing about shutting a church down because it's, it's against what they want to propagate out there. So, and we're still dealing with it. I think, it was, I think it's going to get worse as the time gets closer to the rapture. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to get worse. And a sword. That's the ultimate. Paul suffered all of these, even the sword. I missed a verse here. Verse number 36. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul's talking to them. There's three things here in this verse. The time of these sufferings all the day long. The manner of these sufferings as sheep for, ready for the slaughter. The cause of these sufferings for thy sake. So Paul's being very, very plain with these folks. You're going to suffer. Things are going to be hard. It's not easy. Now that verse number 36 is, is a quote from Psalm 44, 22. And it's descriptive of what God's faithful people may expect from their enemies. When their hatred... And their unrighteousness rises to a level where they're going to attack. They're, they're going to try to suppress us. I believe that's coming more and more. In the last year, we've seen more of that than we've ever, ever seen. And they're not shy about it. Not at all. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And all these things that we've discussed... All these sufferings we can have, all these tribulations, all these things, they cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And I say it's the love of Christ. My love for Christ can waffle some. I love God, I love Jesus Christ, but... When I get under serious trial or persecution, sometimes I, I kind of wonder, don't I? Do you ever do that? You kind of wonder, what's going on? And we look back at, oh, I must be sinning. I must have some sin or something in my life. It must be so. So we kind of question where we're at with, with Jesus, but he never questions where he's at with you. Amen. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. We are victorious through him. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded, I like that verse. Uh, when you argue with someone, what are you trying to do? Persuade them. Kids argue with their parents, they're trying to persuade them. Dad, we need this, I need this. No. Mom, I need this, I need this. No. And we're trying to persuade them that they don't need something that they think they need. And it's a, it's a battle sometimes, isn't it? Especially when they get in their teenage years. I need these special tennis shoes. Because if I don't have them, what will happen to me? I will be persecuted by my peers. And that's serious enough. I understand how that is. Uh, I didn't have any peers in high school. And I was a... <laughs> I just didn't fit in with anybody. I was a shop student. I spent most of my high school in shop. 
I graduated with D minus in math. I'm, I'm proud of that. I still graduated. <laughs> you know? I couldn't get, I could get the math, but I started throwing letters in there and print and, and grammar, punctuation marks and stuff. And I said, what in the world are we doing here? I've diagrammed sentences, now I'm diagramming these numbers. I don't know what's going on here. And I couldn't get that concept. So I didn't have any, I didn't have any peers. Nobody was as dumb as I was. And I was, I was a shop student. I, I did good in shop in, in voc ed classes. That's what I could do. I could work with my hands. I could use, you know, but sh learning anything, no, I was just dumb. I didn't do good in civics. Didn't care about the government back then. You know, I just wanted to get the metal shop or wood shop is what I wanted to do. I didn't care about anything else. P.E., never fit into P.E. Me and my brother were in high school together. In some, some uh, classes, we were the same, same grades. He was older than me. But, you know, I was the guy that in, in P.E. class, you go out there and play ball. You know, they pick their teams, and I'm always the last one. Okay, Carlson, don't touch the ball. You know, I'm that guy. You can play, but don't do nothing. And don't get in the way. If the ball comes to your throat to one of us quickly. Don't run, you know. So I didn't fit in. I didn't have any peers. I didn't have that kind of stuff. So when my daughters wanted to have things because they had to have them, you know, fat and chance don't, no, ain't going to happen. Yep. I was really anti-fad. I always thought I wanted these stupid shoes. I forgot they were jellies. You know what those are? It's back when, little ways. Jellies. Had to have them because everybody else had them. I said, that's why you're not ever going to have them. I said, even when you're married and gone, you're not going to have those shoes. But it's, it's hard. People are hard. Kids are harder on each other, man. They're, it's bad. I don't know how I got up on that. But anyways, people get persecuted by their peers. And, and I think it's going to get worse. The more you make yourself known as a Christian, and Kathleen's found out at work. You know, you got to stand up for what's right. And it's hard sometimes. You get ridiculed. Um, at my work, I had a Bible on my desk. Someone had asked me to take it off. <laughs> I said, stay out of my office. Amen. You know? You have a Bible on your desk for. I like the Old Testament punishment. <laughs> you know, um, you know, anyways... So I used to read it during my lunch hour or something, my Bible. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him that loved us, and nothing's going to separate us from Christ's love to us. Our love to him can get shaken a little bit. We can get uh, uh, hindered by our sin or by our, whatever we're going through, depression, uh, you know, whatever it is. We can... We can succumb to that a little bit. We can be depressed by that. God can't. Verse number 39. Well, let me go with verse number 38 again. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from a love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just look at these things for a second. Uh, neither death. Was, was Paul afraid of death? 2 Timothy 4, 6, I'm ready to be offered. I fought the good fight. I'm done. 
laid up for me as a crown. Okay? He was ready. He wasn't afraid of that. Amen. He wasn't afraid of that. Nor life. That means the prosperity we have in life, the, the high life, as you may call it, the, the prosperity, the riches of life. Uh, nor, nor angels. Angels talking about Satan and his, his followers. They can't separate us. Principalities, what's that? Starts with a gov and ends with a mint. Government. They can't uh, separate us from Christ's love. I like to read these books. I used to read a lot of them, uh, of these Christians behind the Iron Curtain, back when there was an Iron Curtain. Well, they had more faith. These guys smuggling in Bibles, Brother Andrew, some other guys, all these guys smuggling in Bibles, having churches and you know, just basements where they can hide from the authorities. They were giants. Amen. They were giant Christians. They had, were giants spiritual, spiritually because they were under persecution. I read those books and say, boy, I, I'm glad I wasn't there. But I might have to read them again, huh? How do they do this now? I have to make sure because we're being oppressed. Uh, they just signed some voting thing he's going to sign today where, you know, we're, Essentially, what they did this last election is going to be legal now. You know, all these things they're making provisions for. Uh, so, all these things, principalities, powers, governments, can't oppress us to the point where we're, Christ will separate His love. We just got to find another way to worship, another place sometimes. It just depends on how bad it gets. But it's been that bad, it's still that bad in some places. There's Christians in China. There's Christians in other uh, parts of the world where uh, there's oppression. Uh, I think Iran, uh, Iran has Christians. Okay? They're being oppressed. They're being killed. Principalities, nor powers, nor things present, going on now, nor things to come. We know what's coming, don't we? Because we've read the book. Amen. That stuff's going to come. I don't think we're going to be going along modern day, everything's doing wonderful, then the tribulation is going to happen. I think it's going to be worse and worse and worse. And then we're going to know, we're going to know, it, it's got to be any second now. I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're heading that road. I think things are turning that way now. Uh, we're going to start seeing, and we're going to start expecting more than we are now. Jesus has got to come. It's getting so bad. I think it's going to happen that way. I don't think it's going to be a nice sunny day and everything's great and everybody's feeling good and all of a sudden come up. I think we've got to go through some, some hard times here first. That's my opinion. You don't have to, you don't have to believe that. Uh, nor height. Height of prosperity. Or depth of misery. Nor any other creature. That kind of narrows it down. She'll be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And we learned earlier, back in a couple, uh, 10, 12 verses earlier here, back in Romans 8, 28, and, and even before that, that we learned that despite being Christians, we're going to experience hardships and sufferings. So that proves that we're not exempt from that. I went through my first trial as a young Christian back in 1975. I could not believe I was going through something bad. What is going on? I talked to the pastor. Hey, I, I just got saved a couple weeks ago. How come, I'm, how come this happened? He says, because you're a Christian. Because God's going to start teaching you things through trials and persecutions. 
and you're going to grow more. You're going to learn from them. Amen. So really, when I, when, I was, when I was back up there in the front, when you all took me back in the little room, you didn't tell me that. Oh, yeah. It must be page two or something. I don't know what it, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know that until I had a couple of weeks and I started. To, you know, I had to learn that. Been learning it ever since. So where's it say that in the? Oh, it's over here. The sufferings. Yeah. We didn't show you that. No. <laughs> I can't give it back. But I'm just saying. You know, we didn't know that. How many of you knew that when you got saved? How God teaches us things. Yeah. Anybody ever been through a trial before? If you're not raising your hand, I'm wondering. Never been through a trial? Did you like one? I might can arrange. I have people that I know can arrange things. Okay. So, it may be that Christians may suffer more than any other people. Because people want someone to point to. People want somebody to blame. And they, they'll, they'll, they'll pick on a Christian. So there's this temptation that we have to fall into doubt and discouragement. You know who the biggest proponent of that is? That's Satan. Amen. When God brings you through a trial or something happens, he says, oh, you're not saved. If you were saved, you wouldn't be going through this. If you were really saved, you wouldn't think that thought. And we hear that message sometimes, and we gotta we gotta push him off. Say no, and quote him some scripture. But we can get doubtful, discouraged. We can grow cold in our love towards Christ if we don't what exercise it every day. Exercise it. Pray. We can get. I've seen Christians that have got these really deep feelings of doubt and guilt that can't get rid of it, and you can't. Can't, they won't let it go. You can show them all the scripture. Yeah, but you don't understand. <laughs> I heard that before. Yeah. That's, that's, that's us beating up our, our own selves. So in Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, Paul began his chapter by saying, There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And he concludes chapter 8 by saying uh, there is no separation from his love. No condemnation, no separation. The salvation of believers is complete in Christ. Our union with him is indissolvable. You can't give it back. You can't say, I no longer wish to be this. No, it's not an oath. You, know, you can't give it back. Once you're saved, you're saved. We'll start next week in chapter number 9, and we'll start going through um, Paul's problem here. Paul's got a problem in chapter number 9. He's got to tell Israel, he's got to tell his fellow Jews that they're in danger. They're in danger, and God's doing something about it. Uh, Warnings are over. God's doing something about it. And we'll see in chapter 9, 10, and 11 how God deals with the Jews, the nation of Israel, and the Gentiles now. Things kind of flip-flop a little bit. And we'll see that 
uh, starting next week. So word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. I pray, God, you bless the services to follow. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.